Welcome to the Career Zone podcast, where each episode we spend some time focusing on something that's on students' minds right now. I'm your host, Rachel, Employability and Careers Consultant with the University of Exeter. You can catch up on all of our episodes by doing all of those subscribing and following things. We're on Spotify and iTunes. So, good morning, Simon. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Obviously, I know from our previous conversations, you've been a consultant or you are a consultant at the moment with Clifford Chance. And you've got many years of experience, I know, in the legal sector as a partner and and a consultant. So I'd like to welcome you on the podcast today and start by asking if you could give us an overview of your very career history to date. Sure. Very happy to do so. Um, well, initially, I, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to be a barrister or solicitor, but then soon realised that I wanted to work overseas and uh, and also preferred working in, in teams with others. So quite quickly, I then realised that was really more a career as a solicitor rather than barrister. And be, wanting to work overseas, it meant that I basically focused on one of the larger international, uh, larger or international firms. And um, I chose Clifford Chance because um, that seemed to be a perfect fit for me. And I basically have spent spent my entire career uh, of over 30 years at Clifford Chance. Now, many people ask me, you know, why did you want to work internationally? And, and I just wanted the, the experience of working in different jurisdictions, uh, learning different laws and just uh, advising a broad cross section of, of, of clients. And I'd also heard from various people that working in a smaller office overseas meant that you got greater responsibility at an early age and and all I can say is that actually proved to be absolutely correct and I'd recommend it for any any young solicitor. Um, In fact I enjoyed working overseas so much I ended up working in six different countries in Asia and and the Middle East and I I spent over 20 years of my my career actually doing that. Most of the time I was in the corporate practice, I qualified into the corporate practice, um, but, and that was doing a broad cross-section of both public and, and private company work, um, but because I was working overseas, it meant you had to have a much broader skills base, so I ended up doing quite a lot of um, what we call general commercial work, which is commercial contract advisory work, um, and I had I went on two clients of conference with a, a multinational corporate and a, an international investment bank. During my latter years, I tended to focus on uh, the consumer goods and retail sector with clients like Lego, Kellogg and Mondelez. Mondelez used to be the Kraft Cadbury uh, group. Um, sovereign wealth funds so the, the uh, of Singapore, China and, and the Middle East. And also um, I had a, a very significant interest in Chinese and Japanese uh, investors into the UK and into Europe. So that was really a, a broad overview of my career. My most rewarding part of my career was actually being involved in, in mentoring young lawyers through to partnership, apart from being the client relationship partner of Lego, which I think was a, an absolute privilege. But being the personal sole mentor to nine partner candidates who eventually became partners, and uh, in particular to uh, young women in, in, in Singapore uh, is what I'm particularly proud of. That sounds amazing. What an interesting career. And yeah. I know you do a lot of work with universities as well, and you do at, at our university as well, mm-hmm. mock interviews and, and other work. Yes, I do. Um, so I've been a, a, 
mentor to 16 now um, undergraduates of, uh, of Exeter University um, and normally take on two uh, mentees at a time and helping them with their not just legal applications. In fact, a number of them have decided during the process with me that they've decided they didn't want to be a lawyer and I've tried to help them with actually um, other career projections. And um, but predominantly those who want to be solicitors and predominantly those who want to be working in in, um, in in London or with an international firm. And I very much in, enjoy that. And I also mentor some undergraduates from other universities and also those on a, what we call early years programmes. So really six formers who are interested in, in a, a career in a, in a corporate. So, yeah, obviously such an amazing opportunity for our students to be mentored by somebody like yourself and great to have you on, on the podcast today. And I'd imagine somebody with such a wide range in experience in the legal sector that you have been involved in the trainee recruitment process. Is that right? That's right. I mean, th- throughout my career, um, wherever I've been based, I've been uh, always heavily involved in, in trainee recruitment. That's ranged from um, making sort of the final executive decisions, but but also actually carrying armfuls of CVs home with me on a Friday evening to to, to, to review. And uh, more lately, I was in the, in the court, a core team member of our graduate recruitment uh, committee in, in, in the London office. Um, so throughout my career, sort of fluctuating roles and, and time commitment with, with um, uh, trainee recruitment, but always heavily involved. I would make a general comment, though, Um, partners in most medium to large firms no longer tend to be involved in the the first stage of an application uh, process, i.e. the review of the application forms themselves. That's not likely to be the case in in smaller firms where where the partners will be more uh, hands-on, but in the larger firms, they now employ graduate recruitment specialists basically to perform that role, um, and they select the the candidates for the next stage. So at these firms, partners tend to get involved only at the um, interview um, stage or the assessment centre stage. And then very often in the case study interview, I'll come on to what type of uh, what, what the component parts of an interview are later. But the, the more um, the competency based interview is normally dealt with by um, senior associates. And I guess you've reviewed a lot of applications. And I just I mean, I know there's you get a lot of a lot of applications so I don't know if you can sort of recall any numbers off the top of your head but I'd imagine we're talking hundreds maybe thousands for a firm like Clifford Chance. Yes I mean it's that it's thousands and it fluctuates each year I saw a a number recently someone said it was 28 applicants per place I think it's actually in reality more than that but people shouldn't be um in any way discouraged by that because there'll be some people there who may not just simply fulfill the criteria. Um, there are others who are maybe just filling in a number of different applications and not really concentrating um, and focusing on, on the firm. So those those applications get wheedled down quite quickly. And what I would say is that what stands out uh, you know, is always factors beyond the academics because there are so many candidates with exceptional academics um, so you almost those are that's a given the standout candidates have something more and it'll be a personal honest application written in your own words and at the end of the day the firm and the person reading your application wants to know about the real you so you need to demonstrate that you've got a wide variety of genuine interests outside of, of, of your academic pursuits 
And that you, you also need to demonstrate that you've stuck at something and succeeded because that, that shows an element of drive and, and, and determination. So those are, those are the factors you would say that stand out. Personal, honest, application, showing that sort of determination, tenacity, you know, that you can really stick with something. To, I guess resilience as well and, and succeed at something. Yes, and you can look at the sort of flip side, which is, you know, so what turns the reader off? You know, immediately, you know, what mistakes yeah. do, people make, do people make when in their applications? Well, first and foremost, it's a, a list of all your achievements, list of all the things you've done with, abs- with little or no explanation of the relevance to the job that you're applying for, right? That's an absolute no-no regurgitating a string of messages which are on a firm's website. Believe it or not, the people at the firm actually know that already. So actually you regurgitating it doesn't really get you anywhere. And I would say increasingly I see wooden, robotic, uh, generic language with no or little warmth or um, inspiration. So, and it possibly might even be written by somebody else. You can actually see some applications that elements of it have been written by a third party, perhaps a parent or someone else, because you see different, two different styles in the same application. And the other common mistake, believe it or not, and this is you know, really quite shocking because it's an easy one to rectify, is, is people don't clearly articulate their desire to be a lawyer um, or a commercial lawyer, let's say if they wanted to go to one of the London firms or one of the other cities around the UK. And you know, that just isn't, doesn't come through clearly at all as well. And believe it or not, that, of course, is the, the job you're applying for. OK, so it's, you've really got to articulate why you want to be a lawyer and whatever you're detailing in terms of, I guess, experiences, achievements, you've got to really think about how to relate it back to that role. And I guess the skills that are needed in the role of a lawyer as well really demonstrate your understanding of that in the examples that you give. Is that the type of thing? Yes, it is. And very often firms in their application forms will actually give you an opportunity to do that. They'll ask a question like, what do you think a commercial lawyer does? Or what do you think the role or responsibility of a trainee lawyer is? And what there, what you need to describe is what do you think the skills are to be a successful trainee? And then you you don't just say that, because that's the, that's the list again, which everyone hates and which is readily available on the internet to everyone. Then you say, well, I actually have demonstrated some of those skills by doing X, Y, Z, whether at university or elsewhere. Try and make it as current as possible, but that's not that's not, not um, important. And, um, and that's, then you can look at the relevance and say, well, my job working in a supermarket doing X or working as a bartender and so on, I developed these particular character, character traits in you know interpersonal skills, dealing with difficult people, working long hours, etc. Those are all relevant to any job, actually, including the job as a lawyer. Absolutely, and I noticed you mentioned there the example of working in a bar, maybe, and some of the transferable skills, you know, in your application. And um, I get a lot of students who are worried because they haven't got that relevant experience, as in relevant legal experience. And myself and colleagues try to reassure them it's not necessarily about having, you know, direct relevant experience, maybe a small amount, but it's really, firms are really interested in those transferable skills as well. So it was interesting to, for you to hear you give that example. That's a very important point because increasingly, actually, 
getting uh, securing a vacation scheme is becoming more difficult than securing a training contract. And the firms know this. What I would say is don't be disillusioned um, because there are so many other roles that you can take, whether in an office or outside an office, where you can actually demonstrate that you've got the skills which are necessary and, and, and the, the firms are very large to that. Yeah, that's really, that's good to know, that insight. And I think another question, I get a lot of students asking me this, they really struggle with why the firm, you know, why do you want to work at our firm? It's a common question, isn't it? And, you know, what, in your experience, what are firms really looking for in this answer? Right. I mean, this is an incredibly important question because at the end of the day, with so many, many uh, high quality candidates, you want to select someone that basically is interested in working at your firm, not just any firm. And so you want to see someone, you want them to demonstrate that actually they've done quite a bit of research about your firm and, and that they really do want to join your firm and explain the reasons why. And so this is your opportunity to demonstrate to them that you, you've done that. And so what does that mean? Well, you need to have done an appropriate amount of research um, and to, so you really understand the firm, which means what kind of practice areas do they have? What specialisms and have they received any awards for, you know, that recognise that? Um, but don't just look at the firm's website, look at, you know, things like Chambers Student or, or Legal Cheek. And, and, and you look at how does that firm try to distinguish itself from its competitors? Because remember, it's competing against a number of other firms when it goes to clients. It's trying to win work. So how does it itself distinguish itself and, and, and what achievements is that, that firm most proud of? But what I will say is that this is really difficult because a lot of the when you look at those websites of similar firms, a lot of the practices, the specialisms, the awards, they all seem so similar so therefore how do you really differentiate the firms and in my view there are a few things but the, what it is really key is people i'll come to that in a minute what i mean by that but people cited culture cultures of the firms are different the extent to which they're involved in csr and other charitable causes and possibly strategy or vision although i've noticed a trend that a lot of the firms seem to have similar strategies of vision so how do you demonstrate the people side? Well, you've got to meet them, right? So you've got to be able to demonstrate that you have a personal connection with the firm. And meeting them means go and visit them at Lawfare. So in your application, you can actually refer to the fact that you met X associate and Y trainee or even and, or someone from the graduate recruitment team. Go to other events on campus uh, and any uh, virtual events that, that the firm's held and demonstrate you've got that real personal connection, because that goes a long way to, to um, helping you convince them that it's this firm. And attend, at the, most firms now put on a whole host of virtual events throughout the year. So you should, you should participate in at least two or three of them. If you don't, I would argue, certainly if I was on the receiving end, if you haven't attended any of those virtual events, well, you can't really want to come to this particular firm. And particularly if you've cited the virtual events of a number of other competitor firms. I mean, that, that clearly is not going to work in your, in your favour. And the question about why this firm is, is very often linked with, and it's often in this order, is why the law? Why are you interested in the law? Why commercial law? Um, 
can you explain the role of you know, a, uh, a trainee or uh, a junior lawyer in a firm? And then why this firm? Because that's sort of a natural transition that, that, so they can better understand what your thinking is. Absolutely. So there's really good sort of practical advice there of how to demonstrate those differences because when you say you need to be able to differentiate the firm from some of the competitors in practice that's quite a daunting thing to do isn't it to go on because like you say go on the websites all of the information looks quite similar but I really like your point about people and being proactive in attending events that the firm are running and I guess that speaks volumes in your application has to be really planned. You have to really be, you know, when you're starting to think about applications, think about the firms that you want to target, because then you need to be planning those events into your diary, don't you, and ensuring that you're attending them. So when the application comes up, you can make that really good case. And it's natural and it's human nature. That's at the end of the day, if you were to ask 10 trainees who'd been offered a, or sorry, had accepted a training contract at a particular firm. Why did they choose that firm over another competitive firm if they were lucky enough to, to secure an offer from that firm? I would say that eight out of ten will say the people that I met. Really? Yeah. yeah. Power of networking. So I always say that. I think it's really important. But what about things like culture and strategy and vision? How would you sort of be able to gather information to assess differences, you know, with firms' competitors? Well, you start from the website, but that's only one side of the story, some would argue. So websites like Chambers Student, like Legal Cheek, will give you the views, whether those uh, statements are substantiated or verified by people who work at the firm. That's from, from a culture perspective. But you can looking at look at the annual CSR report for the firm that gives you a, a, a pretty good idea about not only what their vision and strategy is in that area, but actually what they're doing now and what the the real opportunities are to young lawyers joining the firm. And there might be a particular area which is of interest to you there. It could be sustainability. It could be giving back to to the local community. It could be you know there could be some I don't know, reading program for local disadvantaged children, something that might interest you, or you might have done that in your actual university. So do the put the connection in there. Why is that culture interesting? Pick up on it. You only need to pick one and just just sound authentic and genuine. That I see. So try and relate some of the values maybe back to your own personal values or some work that you've been involved with. Again, it's that really showing that honest application isn't it showing who you are as a person to to encourage people as well there's no perfect answer in this one and and i have have not seen many what i would call completely standout answers uh, to to, to, um, uh, this question what you just have to be able to demonstrate is that you've got a genuine interest in the firm that's underpinned with a sufficient amount of sort of research and interest this isn't an area where you're going to completely knock them around the park. It's so difficult to do so. I think that's really good to know. It makes it less daunting then, isn't it? And more, you know, in that context. And you, you did mention there about commercial law. And I wanted to also ask you about the commercial awareness question on application forms. 
Because yes. I think, that, you know, along with the widest firm, I think the commercial awareness question is another point that students struggle with. So, again, I just wondered if you could give us some insight on what firms are looking for and sort of, you know, how best to tackle those questions in an application form context. OK, well, before addressing sort of at what stage in the process it's raised, I would just say that it doesn't matter whether you're applying to a firm in London or elsewhere in the UK. I think you you need to be read current business news and people will say that's got to be the FT or it's got to be the Economist, but there are various other ways now. And actually there's TikTok news, you know, there's there are other newspapers, there are other magazines that you can read. You've just got to, you know, be fairly up to speed with what's going on because it could just be that you're asked a question, a general question about something. But even if you're not, how fantastic if you can actually bring into an answer things that you've just recently read, because it just shows that you are aware. Now, in addition to that, there are a couple of books I would recommend for people interested in this, and they're both by a chap called Chris Stokes. One is All You Need to Know About Commercial Awareness. And for those who are interested in uh, working in a London firm, there's also a book called All You Need to Know About the City. And they're both short books, extremely well read, and they give a fabulous oversight about the interconnection of various roles, for example, within the city, whether it's been investment bankers or auditors or, or um, asset managers and, and lawyers, of course, and how that how they all interweave together. So I, I'd recommend those books. I mean, when you come to commercial awareness, it's most likely raised in the um, case study interview. And you'll be asked uh, to review a particular business story or a piece of thought leadership by that particular firm. And then you'll most likely be asked to write a written summary or possibly even an email to a partner or a client just giving your views on that particular story or, or thought leadership piece. That piece will may or may not be marked, but that doesn't really matter. Some firms do, some, some don't. And then the interview itself will concentrate the first part will normally have specific questions about that thought leadership piece or the business story specifics to to try and understand whether you've understood the piece and the nuances of what's what's said and what's not said and then that will morph into sort of more generic questions to gain an understanding of your wider commercial awareness so that's the normal time when commercial awareness is brought up but some firms do actually introduce it into the uh, application form as well and the way they do that is they may ask you to describe a recent business story that you were interested in and you and ask you to explain why now don't try and be clever overly clever and pick a story you don't know anything about you're not interested in just just pick any story and demonstrate that you understand what it means and and maybe its implications in, on society or businesses etc and just show a genuine interest and explain why you are interested in it and that's all that they need to do so it's really whether you can be you're articulate you're succinct and you demonstrate you're interested in the story it's almost written communication skills and, and interest yeah. as, as much as anything else and the general advice at the beginning to keep up, up to date with news with business news yeah, exactly. And we'll make sure that we link those books that you recommended in our descriptor as well so that our listeners can see those details. One thing, I guess this it might be just to, to add something at this stage, 
Rachel, is that although it hasn't featured yet, in the next round of applications and interviews, I can absolutely see many firms asking candidates what they believe the impact of AI and chatbot GBT is going to be to the legal profession. Now, they they have in the past asked questions, you know, what do you think are the two most significant issues that are going to affect law firms or the practice of law in the future? And loads of people say technology, but that's bored many firms to tears because they want someone to choose something that's a bit different. But this topic is so current and I think the perceived wisdom is that it's going to have such an enormous impact on the legal profession that people really should be up to speed as to what there are many articles already appearing as to what the effect must be. So I think people should should be live to that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And to chat GPT, that is, as you say, it's around, it's spoken about a lot at the moment, isn't it? So, yeah, certainly a, a good point there. And yes, so we in our work, we do see lots of students who have successes in getting through to the app, the application stage. But we do see a lot of, unsurprisingly, we see a lot of students who they've applied for a number of vacation schemes and unfortunately they haven't been successful. And I just wondered, what would your advice be to students in that position in, in terms of how best to move forward? Well, I mean, you've got to start off with just say, don't be disheartened or discouraged. I, I genuinely say that because the whole process is very much a numbers game. With as many as I've seen some firms, 50 applicants per place, which just seems to be quite ridiculous. But for the reasons I mentioned earlier, people shouldn't get disheartened by that. But luck still does play a, a large part. You know, is that unfortunate or fortunate? I, I don't know, but people should just uh, be realistic. And the rejection side, it really depends on at what stage in the process did you get rejected? I mean, if you didn't get invited to an interview or an assessment centre, then what you need to do is properly analyse how your application can be improved, your written application. And ideally, ask someone other than a parent or a close friend to review it from a content and writing style perspective. Because very often, little things can be picked up and it could be that you haven't shown any real interest or you haven't actually demonstrated or even talked about having done XYZ jobs, which were, were quite relevant because the skills you, you uh, picked up from that were relevant to any job. So I'd say do that. And I say don't pick a parent or close friend because there's bias, there's natural bias there. And um, it's very rare that either of those two categories of people are going to you know, rip your application apart, which is effectively, in many respects, what you need. If that analysis shows that there are gaps in your CV, which is very often the reason for the rejection if someone's met the academic grades on. And by that, I mean the gaps in CV mean I mean paid work, volunteer work, hobbies, societies, attending virtual workshops, etc. Then there's really one simple message you've got to address it, right? It doesn't matter whether you're applying for a legal job or any other job. People want to see that you've got an interest outside of your academics and that you're a well-rounded, all-rounded person. You can't develop the all-rounded interpersonal skills unless, to be honest, you've had a job, whether it's a paid job or a volunteer work. And, you know, hobbies, societies, whatever it is, you know, 
people can tell whether they that whether people are just what I call CV enhancing, so they seem to skip from one society to another. But if you've had a genuine role in that, and you can demonstrate the skills that you learnt and the reason why you you, know, you found it difficult juggling doing that role with your academics, etc., but you managed to pull through, that's incredibly important. If you're invited to the assessment stage or interview, that means your application you know was good enough to get through, but you didn't progress beyond that, what feedback did you receive from the firm? Because you won't get feedback from a firm if you're just merely rejected at the application stage. So they've got too many applications, they can't deal with it. But they will give you feedback. They'll ask you whether you would like feedback normally, and you always say yes, and, and, and what feedback they'll give you. And how do you think you performed? And match that against what they said and what you feel, and what aspects of that interview did you find the most difficult was the case study interview more difficult than the competency one which i'm almost certain everyone's going to say it is because it is because competency-based interview is normally questions about yourself which you should be able to answer uh, whereas the case study is designed to put you on the back foot a little bit and make you think and so if you have not been successful at the interview stage what i you know how do you deal with that well I'm, all i can say is it's practice practice and practice again and because you because it's probably because you were nervous or you uh, weren't expecting certain questions you didn't know how to deal with a question or, or, or that horrible silence after asking being asked a question which you which you don't know the answer to or you think you don't know the answer to um so practice with someone who preferably has experience at role playing being the interviewer and the last thing i guess i'd say you know if you're unsure whether you want to be a solicitor then apply for a vacation scheme rather than a training contract. I mean, it's an obvious question, but you believe, wouldn't believe how many people don't do that. Yeah, I guess some people go straight in, don't they, for the, the training contract. And I guess even if a vacation scheme, if you decided the outcome was that you decided, no, law's definitely not for me, still amazing experience for, you know, any career that you decide to pursue. Yeah. So yeah, some really, really great advice there. So getting feedback on your written applications, identifying gaps in your CV, practicing and gaining experience. I guess some of that is about having the confidence that you committed to the application. I guess that can come through a lot in interviews and applicate and written applications. Yeah, which sort of leads me to you know one thing I'd like to say is you know, a number of people ask me, well, how many firms should I apply to? Mm, they do. And I'd say it's up to you, but whichever applications you decide to do, you've got to do them properly. And that means devoting 10 to 15, sometimes 20 hours, but 10 to 15 hours per application, which shocks a lot of people when I say that. But but how on earth can you differentiate yourself? How can you really bring that message through unless you've done that, unless you really can demonstrate you know about the firm? You have to spend time. Do not apply to a firm that you have not spent that time to because it's just a waste of your time and always have don't apply to them all in the same grade always have a couple of backups you know, and you know insurance policy it's a bit like applying to university or any job you should always have a backup so look at those and sometimes the application forms are a bit different but but it's worth spending the time the other thing is be conscious of the fact that some firms recruit on a rolling basis some on a non-rolling basis and by that i mean a rolling basis means that they say the application procedure starts on date X and it concludes on date Y, um, but they will be reviewing the applications as they come in, which means that basically if you don't apply early, 
you could actually just be rejected simply because they filled all the slots. Whereas not writing basis, of course, is they say there's a, a deadline by X and they say they review all applications once the deadlines come in. I have struggled to believe that. I think what they do is they review some of the early ones, but they just don't make any decisions. So it is true that they will wait for all of the applications to come in and then review them in the entirety. So the key is with a on a, a rolling basis one to get your application in as, as early as possible and maybe can concentrate on those. Brilliant, thank you. I mean, as we come to an end, is, is there anything else, Simon, that we haven't I haven't covered, I haven't asked that you think is important to mention with regards to you know applications or anything else? No, I think no, I think it may be just one thing, which is, you know, if, you, if you're if you lucky enough to get through to an interview or assessment stage, you can be sure that firms have their own particular nuances as to how they run assessment days or, or, or interviews. So make sure you understand what that process is and, you know, particularly what does it comprise? Some of them, for example, they will pretty much always have a competency-based interview. That's questions about yourself, a case study. But some may also have a group test and some don't. So you just need to uh, check that. And also some of them before inviting you to an assessment day might ask you to, to have, do a psychometric test, um, something like the Watson Glazer test. Now, that may be everyone's asked to do that or it might just be an invited few are asked to do that. And then if you if you get through that stage, sometimes you you're asked to participate in an online interview, which is very often uh, with a bot, and you're mm. given typically 90 seconds or so to answer a, a question which might appear on the screen in writing, or it might actually be through a, a synthesized voice to you. But so again, you need to work out, so nothing should really come as a surprise. So you'll practice for it, because then what it is, you'll be, you'll be calm and you'll be prepared and relaxed and, and, and ready for all eventualities. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Simon. That is going to be so useful. Thank you. It's a pleasure. This was the Career Zone podcast brought to you by the University of Exeter Career Zone. Check out iTunes and Spotify to keep up with all of our regular releases. And if you'd like us to cover something else in another episode, just send us a message hashtag careerzonepodcast at UOE careerzone or at UOE Cornwall careerzone on Instagram and we'll follow up in one of the next episodes.